Friday, and welcome back to another Friday Five here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel, and this is our weekly list of five things you should know about. With all the tech news that is going around lately, that is going to be the main focus of our episode today. Starting out with number one, Twitter-related, but not Twitter. Elon Musk took over as CEO of Twitter on October 27th, and here we are just two weeks later, and a whole handful of layoffs and changes have already occurred. One of the biggest, the amount of people leaving Twitter for other comparable social media platforms. And you might wonder, where are they going? I know I was, and surprisingly, one of the names on the list of platforms was Tumblr, which if Tumblr can make a comeback tour out of Twitter's demise, I can't say that I would be mad about that. I never really got into Twitter. I'm online there, but it's just not my flavor of social media. Tumblr, on the other hand, I enjoyed my time there. I still log in every now and again. It's a microblogging site with a couple of different posting formats. You can post text, images, video, quotes, links, and chats. It's really versatile, and if you're into a niche fandom or hobby, you can likely find your people on Tumblr. One way that Tumblr differs from Twitter, however, and I feel like this is probably enough of a difference to set it apart for most users, Twitter is a very fast social network, like blink and you miss half of the conversation fast. Tumblr, in comparison, has a slower pace and the conversation is more thoughtful. Of course, there were the other large social networks on the list, so Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm guessing Snapchat didn't make the list because it's more visual than textual. And then there's Discord, Substack, Cohost, Tribal, and I even saw Clubhouse mentioned. The platform that seems to be getting the most attention, though, is called Mastodon, and that is the one that I want to talk about here today. Mastodon functions similarly to Twitter, so that's likely why so many people have taken a liking to it. And then there's also the fact that a lot of journalists have started using it and reporting on it, so visibility is also a factor there. Users sign up to use Mastodon through a specific server and sometimes related community, or instances, as they're called. So Mastodon is not a singular website. And if you're thinking that sounds a little sketchy and weird, it's actually not. It's just a different setup than what we're currently used to. The server approach is actually more secure, and all servers must adhere to something called the Mastodon Server Covenant. And rule number one that Mastodon servers agree to is, quote, active moderation against racism, sexism, homophobia, and transphobia. Users must have the confidence that they are joining a safe space free from white supremacy, anti-Semitism, and transphobia of other platforms, end quote. 
So already from the get-go, the idea is inclusivity, a space for all and a space where conversation can happen respectfully, without hate speech. And I think that's probably also the biggest reason that many users have made this particular switch. There's also the fact that the posting method is very similar. Hashtags work the way that they work on Twitter. You at people to mention them, and you've got a limited number of characters for your message. They're called toots on Mastodon rather than tweets. And when you sign up, you're prompted to follow a handful of users. I was able to choose two from that initial list of suggestions. Now, from there, finding others to follow or even finding people you know is a little more difficult. It's not as intuitive as uploading your contact list or necessarily an apples-to-apples experience from Twitter or other social networks. Still, though, despite the differences, Mastodon seems poised for growth in the coming weeks. Whether it's another big social network to be or the next Vero, well, that is going to take a little bit longer to determine. Number two. On Wednesday this week, Meta announced that they would be laying off 11,000 employees. That comes on the heels of layoffs at other tech firms like Twitter and Salesforce, to name a few. CEO and founder Mark Zuckerberg took responsibility for the layoffs, claiming that the company grew too fast amid growing need during the pandemic. That need has now subsided and cooled off considerably and not just at Facebook. Meta has increasingly been focused on the metaverse, pushing forward on Zuckerberg's passion project. The company's last earnings report, the Q3 2022 financial highlights, reported an overall 52% decrease in net income year over year. In dollars and cents, That amounted to $4.4 billion less than last year at this same time. Now, as far as revenue goes, that was down as well. $27.7 billion this year compared to $29 billion in Q3 last year. So there is revenue coming in, but increased costs and expenses eat into that revenue, along with a drop in income from operations and income that's cut in half. It is not looking great for Meta right now. This is the second straight quarter that Meta has posted a loss, and the forecast for Q4 doesn't look much better. According to the company, they're projecting revenue between 30 and $32.5 billion for Q4 of this year. Experts had previously expected that revenue to be at the $32.2 billion mark. Will this be a wake-up call for Zuckerberg to cut back on the metaverse? That is tough to say. I think if he were smart, he would scale back. But he seems really intent on being the father of the metaverse, in addition to the father of Facebook. Number three. Let's talk for a second about QR codes. They are those square images filled with what looks like a black and white camo pattern, or kind of like a pixelated composition book pattern. And if it looks like the latter, well, fun fact, both QR, or quick response codes, 
and the black and white marbling design on composition notebooks originated in Japan. If you've seen those squares and wondered what in the world are those and how do I use them, well, those little squares are a digital shortcut that can be read by your smartphone's camera or a QR code app. And then all you have to do is press on the link that will pop up and you're taken to the site. QR codes are especially useful if you've got long website URLs that are either too long or just look unsightly and take up a lot of character space. Once upon a time, you needed a QR code reader on your smartphone in order to be able to recognize and interact with those codes. But now, that functionality is built into your smartphone's camera. So if you keep your phone updated to the most recent operating system of Android or iOS, you should have no problem scanning and using QR code technology. Many restaurants adopted the functionality during the pandemic as a means to present their menus in a sanitary manner. And then afterwards, the idea just sort of hung around and gained popularity. Because there's no more needing to print out new menus, changes can be made to the menu without having to print out updated physical copies, so it's convenient. Regardless of which type of phone you have, whether it's an Apple or an Android, when you scan the QR code, your phone reads that two-dimensional barcode and presents a button with a web address. All you need to do is tap on that URL and you'll be sent to that web page in your browser of choice. And I should point out that it's not just URLs or websites that QR codes can point to. They can also be used for videos, social media, email, Wi-Fi, downloadable files, mobile apps, multi-URLs, H5 editors, and one of my personal favorites, business cards. So a lot of functionality, and really, all you need is your smartphone camera. Now, if you've tried to read QR codes and have been having some issues, we do have a link to an article that can help you troubleshoot what's going on. They've got help for Android and iPhone users, so make sure you check that out. And if you want to test it out for yourself, you can navigate to our episode notes and use the code provided there. Just make sure that you're viewing on your desktop since you'll need to use your phone to scan the code. Number four, some advancements in technology seem like a huge leap from where we are right now, like what Meta is trying to do with the metaverse. And that's why it feels so weird that the avatars don't have legs. While that is an interesting project, I love hearing about uses of current technology that really make a difference in people's lives. I'm drawn to a good story, and the story of Nightwear is just that. It's an app for those who suffer from PTSD and have nightmares related to their trauma. Nightware began life as a prototype developed by Tyler Skluzacek, whose father had PTSD. He wanted a solution that relied on technology rather than medication, and he based his tech on the concept of a service dog, trained to slowly wake their owner in the event of a nightmare. With the combined tech of an iPhone and Apple Watch, Nightware is able to detect when the wearer is having a nightmare. Through the haptics on the watch, 
It mimics a service dog's nudges with a series of timed vibrations to pull the wearer out of the nightmare, but not out of their sleep. Grady Hanna, the CEO of Nightwear, helped take Skluzacek's prototype and turn it into the viable app that is Nightwear, a process that took seven years to complete. What's cool about Nightwear is that it's a prescription. 400 patients are currently prescribed, and early studies look promising. Like I said, I enjoy a good story, and this one, a seemingly simple adaptation of technology that solves a real-world problem, I love that. We will be linking to more information about nightwear in our notes. Number five, I would like to end this episode on a high note. So that means not talking about Elizabeth Holmes being denied a new trial or talking about what's going on between Binance and FTX right now. What I do want to talk about instead is a brief rundown of the tech we offer here at Ritter. We've got an in-house development team that works to make our tech, like the Ritter platform, MetaCareful, CallVault, and all the other features in those tools. The Ritter platform is our comprehensive agent dashboard. It's got built-in CRM functionality, and that's where CallVault lives. And it houses all the information about contracting, applications, and statuses as well. It's basically your hub for doing business. CallVault is our compliant recording solution for recording calls with Medicare beneficiaries. The tool is very straightforward, and we've got a lot of documentation on how to use it in a few different formats. And then Medicareful. That is our customized, compliant online website with the capability for online enrollments. There's a plan finder on there that you can go through comparisons with your clients. And then there's a few different marketing strategies and solutions that go along with Medicareful that can elevate your business. Tech is a big part of our strategy for moving agents forward in their businesses and the industry here at Ritter. And the coolest part, I know I'm definitely biased toward our products, but our team here takes your feedback into account. So if there's a feature or something you'd like a solution for, we like hearing that feedback. And often those suggestions are built into new features and updates as we go along during the year. If you're not feeling the tech solutions you've got going on right now, definitely check out what we've got to offer. We will have some links to do that in our notes, or you can reach out to our team here with your questions. ASGpodcast at RitterIM.com is our email, and you can call and leave us a voicemail at 1-717-562-7211 as well. That is all we have for this week's episode. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay healthy, stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing by Tina Lamaru. Artwork by Vivian Zhao. 